Well, good morning, church family. Good to see you all, and greetings to those watching out on the patio or watching online. The Victor Hugo novel, Les Miserables, tells the story of the June Rebellion, a student-led uprising against the French monarchy in Paris in 1832. And during the June Rebellion, the French National Guard killed nearly 100 student protesters on the streets of Paris. If you've seen the musical version of Les Mis, in the second half, there's a song about the students who died in the June Rebellion. It's called Empty Chairs and Empty Tables. And there's a a line, one of the choruses or one of the verses of that song goes like this. I won't sing it. (laughs) There's a grief that can't be spoken. A pain goes on and on. Empty chairs and empty tables. Now that my friends are dead and gone. Anyone who's ever lost someone they care about has felt that kind of grief before. An empty chair at the table of your life. Constant reminder of an absence, a void, the amount of loss we've had here at Glenkirk over the last two months. Some of you are walking through that kind of grief even today. My stepdad died in a plane crash 24 years ago. And I still remember the 2 a.m. call from the police telling me that his plane had gone down and that uh, my mom needed me to come over right then. And even now, 24 years later, whenever I visit my mom's house, I'm reminded of his absence. From the pictures still hanging on the wall to his battalion chief's cap that is still hanging on the coat rack. Empty chairs and empty tables. Today we finish our series, Welcome to the Table. And for the last seven weeks in the season of Epiphany in the Christian calendar, we've been looking at the theme of hospitality from the book of Luke in the New Testament part of the Bible. Luke envisions the arrival of Jesus into our world as a visitation from God himself. Jesus enters into our world as a guest. And all who welcome Jesus to the table of their lives, find themselves welcome to the table of God's hospitality. This is often called entering the kingdom or being saved in the book of Luke, being welcomed to God's table. And we've seen over the last six weeks of this series that it's often the unexpected who welcome Jesus to the table of their lives, the the irreligious, the people with questionable morals, prodigal sons and crucified criminals. We've seen that those who refuse to welcome Jesus to the table of their lives miss out on God's visitation in the world. And in Luke's telling of the story, it's often the religious and the powerful, the wealthy and people who are good church-going folk who miss out on the visitation of God because they refuse to welcome Jesus to the table of their lives. Last week, our parish associate, Andrea Messenger, 
shared about the sacrifice of hospitality from the 23rd chapter of Luke. And there we, we read and heard about the death of Jesus, Jesus dying on the cross. And even as he suffered, Jesus, ever the host, as he is suffering, he welcomes a repentant thief to the table of God's hospitality. Even as Jesus died, another unexpected guest finds a seat at the table. As Jesus promises the repentant thief that he will be welcomed with Jesus into paradise. But then Luke 23 ends with Jesus dead. The guest who brought God's visitation to the world, killed by the very people he came to save. Luke 23 ends with empty chairs and empty tables. What now of the table of God's hospitality? What now of this visitation from God that Jesus brought? Well, today we finish our series by looking at the final chapter of the book of Luke and one last instance of hospitality from Luke's telling of the story. So if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word from Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing Jesus. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, said to Je or asked Jesus, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You can be seated. Two followers of Jesus, one named Cleopas and an unnamed companion are traveling home from Jerusalem. A week earlier, Cleopas and his companion had entered the city of Jerusalem with Jesus on the day that we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, filled with hope and excitement and anticipation. But now they're headed home to Emmaus, discouraged, grieving, empty chairs and empty tables. And as they make their trek back home, suddenly Jesus is walking with them. But Luke tells us their eyes were prevented from recognizing Jesus, presumably prevented by God. And so Jesus appears to them as a stranger, just another Jewish pilgrim who had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, who's now making the trek back home now that the annual Passover has ended. This stranger asks them what they're talking about. And Cleopas and his companions stop walking for a moment in order to gather their composure and control their emotions. And Cleopas is surprised that this stranger isn't aware of everything that's happened in Jerusalem. So he sums it up. Jesus of Nazareth, sent by God, a prophet by God, a captivating teacher, a miracle worker. But their religious and political leaders, instead of welcoming Jesus, rejected him, handing him over to be crucified by the Romans. And notice verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one. Past tense, we had hoped, but we hope no longer. Notice that Cleopas and his companion give an accurate account of the facts as they know them. They had all the right facts, but they had the wrong story. Their, their story was one of hopelessness, of empty chairs and empty tables in their lives. And so this stranger along the road takes them to school. He introduces them to a different story. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, he shows them that the Messiah had to suffer first before he could enter into his glory. From Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament, to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. This stranger tells the story of the Messiah. You see, Jesus isn't merely taking a verse, cherry-picking a verse or two 
to prove a point. He's telling, retelling the whole biblical story, the story of the suffering and then glorified Messiah, God's story. And in this story, suffering comes before glory. The cross comes before the crown. Death comes before the resurrection. Jesus is telling the story of the scriptures in a new way, a way that Cleopas and his companion had never heard before. And Christians have been reading the Hebrew scriptures this same way ever since. When they finally arrive in the city of Emmaus, Jesus acts like he's going to keep on going. And so they urge them to stay with them. Even though they don't yet know it's Jesus, they invite him to come into their home as their guest. Without realizing it, they welcome Jesus to the table. But in between verse 29 and verse 30, a shift happens. Because even though Jesus is the guest in verse 29, in verse 30, he becomes the host as they sit at the table in their home in Emmaus to eat. It's Jesus who takes bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and gives it to them. And these are the exact same words and gestures that Luke used in chapter 22 to describe the Last Supper four days earlier. And it's in the breaking of bread that they finally recognize it's Jesus here. They later reflect in verse 35, Jesus was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Then suddenly Jesus disappears from their sight. Jesus's resurrection body on Easter, it was a real body, the same body that had been crucified. It still bore the scars of his crucifixion, yet apparently in its newly resurrected immortal condition, it had new properties. And he disappears. And as Cleopas and his companion reflect on their walk to Emmaus, they admit that their hearts burned within them as they walked with Jesus and he opened the scriptures to them. So they turn around and head back to the city of Jerusalem and they find the 11 remaining apostles and their companions and together they rejoice in the Easter message. The Lord is risen. Christ has conquered death. Cleopas and his companion encountered the risen Jesus when he opened to them the word of God and when he broke the bread for them. In the word and in the sacrament, in the scriptures and in the bread, they found that the chair is not empty and that the table is not vacant but that Jesus is still present with them at the table through the word of God and the breaking of bread. What if they'd ignored this inquisitive stranger they encountered while they were walking on the road? Or what if they let him keep going when they arrived in Emmaus? They would have missed out on an encounter with the risen Christ their practice of hospitality opened the door to the presence of Jesus in their lives. 
as we've seen again and again in Luke, the more we welcome Jesus into our lives, the more we find our place at his table. I think we find three final principles about biblical hospitality in this last chapter of Luke. So here's the first one. Biblical hospitality helps us find our story in God's story. It helps us find our story in God's story. Cleopas and his companion had all of their facts correct, but they had the wrong story. And this is why they were sad and dejected. And when Jesus opened the scriptures for them, they were able to locate the facts of their story into a much larger story, the story of God's Messiah, where suffering comes before glory. This is what the Bible does for us as Christians. It helps us place the facts of our lives in the context of a bigger story. We all have our own facts. And the facts of each person's life are unique to them. And some of our, pa- our facts are hard. They're painful. Facts about our families and our failures, about our disappointments and our losses. Facts about relationships that seem broken beyond repair, about trauma and about addictions. And the way we connect the dots of the facts in our lives tells a story. But often the story that we tell is not the right story. Jesus gives us God's word so we can have a bigger story that connects the dots in a different way. It doesn't change the facts of our lives, but the story the facts tell find their place in a larger, more beautiful story. In C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory, he famously says this. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. By it, I can see everything else. Through God's word, through the story that it tells, we can see the facts in our lives in a new light. God's word is the lens through which we make sense out of our story. We connect the dots of those facts in new ways as part of a bigger story. I think back to my wife, Cindy's definition of hospitality, as she said it once. She says, hospitality is giving people space to be themselves and say their stuff. When we do that together with God's word, we can find our story in God's story. And don't be surprised if your heart burns within as you do as you encounter the risen Christ in the word of God. Secondly, biblical hospitality helps us recognize Christ's presence with us at the table. Helps us recognize the presence of Jesus with us at the table. The presence of Jesus was revealed to Cleopas and his companion through the breaking of bread. 
Now, in the Bible, that phrase, the breaking of bread, it often simply refers to eating a meal with another person. There is something sacred and holy about the ordinary act of sharing a meal with another person. Meals can break down walls and build community. In fact, in Luke's second volume in the Bible, the book of Acts, it tells us that the early Christians were known for sharing meals with each other in each other's houses with glad and sincere hearts. In the early church, people who were very different came together for the breaking of bread. Slaves with masters, rich with poor, Romans with Jews, Africans with Europeans. When some of the wealthy Christians in the city of Corinth stopped sharing meals with the poor that were part of the church in Corinth, the apostle Paul accused them of showing contempt for the body of Christ. The early Christians shared meals with each other and they recognized the presence of the risen Jesus in the breaking of bread. I can't count the number of times when Cindy and I have seen this happen during meals in our home. As we eat and talk, as we laugh and maybe share a glass of wine, suddenly the conversation takes a turn. Not because we manufactured it or we planned it, but because there's something about the breaking of bread that opens a door. Some of the holy holiest moments we've had with Jesus have taken place with other people around our dinner table as we recognize the presence of Christ in the breaking of bread. Maybe you've heard of a ministry called Alpha before. Alpha started in England at an Anglican church in England uh, as a way of explaining the basics of the Christian faith to people who are new to the Christian faith. And Alpha centers around a shared meal. Uh, One of my mentors, Todd Hunter, was the president of Alpha in the U.S. for a number of years. And he once told me that the meals are as important as the content. In fact, we're going to start an Alpha group right after Easter here at Glenkirk. Uh, Amy Minnick, who assisted and led us in prayer this morning, is part of the team that's going to lead it. Christ is present in the breaking of bread. But sometimes in the New Testament, that phrase, the breaking of bread, refers very specifically to celebrating communion, celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Again, in verse 30 of chapter 24 here, it uses the same verbs that we saw used in verse or in chapter 22, where he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. In fact, in the early church, the celebration of communion usually took place during a meal, at the end of the meal. It was only by the late second century when the church began to explode in growth with new members that sharing a meal during during communion became impractical because of the sheer volume and number of people. We experience Christ's presence at the table of communion the breaking of bread. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the bread that we break in the Lord's Supper is a sharing, a participation, a communion 
with the body of Christ. The risen Christ is present with us in the breaking of bread, just as he was present with Cleopas and his companion. Finally, the third principle. Biblical hospitality motivates us to proclaim Christ to others. It motivates us. When they left the city of Jerusalem, it was a place of despair, loss, and grief. It was like Paris after the June rebellion. Empty chairs and empty tables. But now that they'd encountered the risen Christ, it was a place of new hope and new direction, of new promise. Even though none of the facts had changed, Jerusalem became a place of new beginnings. So much so, 50 days later, the Spirit of God would fall on the day of Pentecost and empower the people of God for mission. So Cleopas and his companion rushed back to Jerusalem with a newfound sense of purpose and hope, proclaiming with the 11 apostles, it's true, Christ has risen from the dead. They are motivated to proclaim Christ to others. Biblical hospitality is transformative. It starts with welcoming Jesus into our lives. And as we keep welcoming him more and more, it's not just a one-time thing. We find Jesus hosting us, welcoming us to the table of his hospitality. And sometimes we find ourselves sitting at the table of his hospitality with people who might surprise us, people who might look differently, vote differently have different stories, have made different choices in their lives. There's no telling who you might find yourself sitting next to at the table of God's hospitality. We often think of hospitality as starting in the home. But I don't think Christian hospitality starts in the home. I think Christian hospitality starts right here in our worship, with each other. Because it's in our worship where we consistently encounter Jesus through the preaching and teaching of the word and through the breaking of bread in communion. This is our weekly opportunity for us to welcome Jesus more fully to the table of our lives each week again and again to experience him in the word and in the sacraments and to welcome others to the table as well. Think about how we interact with guests, showing them concern without smothering them. How we interact as different generations, the younger with the older, the older with the younger. Think about how we treat people who look differently than we. Hospitality starts right here, right now. So as we finish this series, may we be a church that seeks to embody that word we see up on the, the, the wall every week, that word invite. May we be that more than ever before. May Glenn Kirk's table not be like a middle school lunch table filled with cliques and divided into the in-crowd of the popular 
and the outcrowd of the unpopular. May Glen Kirk's table not be like a Navy mess hall where the leaders all eat at one table and the enlisted eat at a different table, fine for the Navy, but not for the church. May Glen Kirk's table not be like a prison chow how chow hall where the tables are segregated into different racial groups separated by hostility and distrust. May our table be large and wide, welcoming and hospitable, that we become a congregation that more fully invites Jesus to take his seat at the table of our lives so we can invite others to join him at that table. And as we do, we will find our hearts burning within us as we encounter him in the word of God. And as we do, we will find Christ's presence revealed to us in the breaking of bread as we share meals with one another and celebrate the Lord's Supper each week. May God make it so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this ending of the book of Luke and that the story doesn't end with death, though death is necessary. That the story doesn't end with suffering, though the suffering had to happen. That it ends with glory, with resurrection. Father, may we be a church that embodies this story. May we find our place in this story. And may you stretch us in new and uncomfortable ways to be hospitable, to live out this value of inviting, inviting everyone to join in the journey of following Jesus. God, we love you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.